0: Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way.
1: The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift.
0: And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome.
1: Jimmy, dude, here we are again on this journey. We are deep in it today on the skill set of moving the rock, the journey that uh, you've sketched out here and uh you've got a phrase you used that i want to learn more about the universal buying cycle i want to call it the ubc which makes me think of ub40 which makes me think of drinking red wine so i'm going to focus myself <laughs> and uh tell us about this universal buying cycle i'm always into meta ideas
0: yeah the six degrees of red wine we'll Ooh. talk about that another time um well, you know, there's a lot of uh, sales methodologies out there that recognize the importance of the customer, the buyer. You know, we we differentiate customers from buyers because we're in the B2B world, but it doesn't matter who you sell to. Uh, there is, based on our research and based on our 30 years of experience, there is a universal buying cycle that every buyer goes through and the great news is if you want to be buyer-centric, you then can learn that and have now a universal sales process so this to go is, along this with So this is
1: it. meta-level stuff. This is what I geek out on. I remember when we met a couple years ago and you started walking through this with me at just a high level. I, I, I didn't understand it at the level that I do now. And truly for those listening, I show up every episode and, and learn myself because I get to selfishly ask a bunch of questions. Why wouldn't I want to do that? But when I, when you were telling me about it, you know, I really do love learning models that are meta, that, that fly at a high level, but not so high, they can't customize to a situation. And I knew when I was hearing you talk through uh, just your overall approach, I was like, ooh, he, he figured out like this high level, but customizes and maps to a situation. So that's the journey we're gonna go on today. Um, if people were gonna be intrigued to learn this, like what's the starting point? What's the flaw that everybody makes? In in their journey of beginning the skill set of understanding this buying cycle,
0: right, right. Well, I'm going to start at the very yeah. beginning, before the beginning, before the beginning. There, was, there was are Jimmy people. hovering over the water.
1: No, I'm sorry, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> right on, baby.
0: Well, yeah. There. I mean, I may seem like I do when I'm talking, yeah. but this is something anybody can do, and anybody can hover over the water, man. You know whether you're a professional salesperson and a ceo and you employ salespeople, or you're just trying to figure salespeople out the first place is sales is a game much like life sales is a game of probability not a game of perfection our goal is to win more than we lose and win bigger and lose smaller over time which means we're looking for predictable patterns of success which means we have to pay attention to the world around us as it is not as we want it to be So what do we have? We have the universal buying cycle, which is a recognition that there is a process that every human being on the planet, since we began trading back in the Stone Age, follows when they Hmm. make a buying decision. And we'll go through it today. And the listeners can judge for themselves. Do you go through this process when you buy? Um, It is universal. It is uh, everyone goes through it, whether you recognize it or not. We've just identified the steps, and so by practicing by practicing a sales methodology that respects the universal buying cycle, one, we are um, being customer centric. We're showing up not as that uh, not as that uh, gross, self in self involved, arrogant salesperson that people hate to engage. Um, And we're also showing up with with an ability to lead the buying cycle. Buyers don't always follow the universal buying cycle to make the best buying decision. They often skip steps as well. Our job as a leader of that process is to make sure they follow those steps so that we can help them make the best possible decision. Have you ever been so excited about a purchase that you made the purchase and regretted it a few hours later. We don't want to be the salespeople that take advantage of our clients in this way. We want to make sure that we make connections that are strong, create relationships that are lasting so that we can go back to those folks for references, for a new business, and actually build a, a great career and build a great mm, business on so top of there that There's so much there that I want to
1: zero in on. Like you just hit so much that I love it. Uh, the, the ending there, yeah, we want to play long-term games with long-term people. And I I think for me, what's been powerful is a phrase that you've used. And I think I highlighted it in another episode. If you don't take time and go through this, you can get a shadow in the experience. And that shadow, because you haven't shown a light on this four part process, then comes back to bite you later. You know, they have that remorse. They have that, oh, did I just get swept away and make a decision here? And so you're not you're not i think people could mishear it and say oh you're forcing the buyer to take a journey they don't want to take no you're slowing it down to move through the process so that there is this uh full engagement and understanding on what happened now i'm curious to ask this so in in our work of coming up with uh the content that we use to help people with for you seeing this universal buying cycle before we get into it uh i've i've got my conviction on how i think it happened uh i'm just curious was it like a spark of insight was it a lot of thinking and and noticing it and studying it to get to the pattern or was it a combination of both
0: uh excellent well um i sold for 15 years at the beginning of my career, I was a enterprise sales rep for a, a number of uh, well funded venture back startups, and I was typically the person who was closing the first million dollar deal for those accounts in whatever role I played. Not to brag, just to just to share kind of how much You're of a coming with receipts I was today. That's what game. we say.
1: You're bringing the receipts. That's the way I get it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and it was. I mean, there was a the learning process here. Um, but I learned how to sell things that people sell things that solved problems that people didn't know they had. Um, and I did that for companies that they had never heard of before. So I was working without logos, without track record, oftentimes Mm. without software that worked. And so how do you do that? You have to focus not on yourself and what you bring to the table and kind of shock and awe someone into saying, Ooh, You're from a big brand, of course I want to talk to you. You have to focus on their problem. Help them identify a problem they didn't know they had and then introduce them to the solution that they didn't know existed. And what's wonderful about this approach is it is, again, it it, it can make any salesperson better. I don't care how long you've been selling. if If you can learn something about helping clients identify problems and expanding those problems, what you end up expanding their understanding of those problems, not creating more problems, but actually helping helping them understand the full breadth and scope of those challenges that they face, you end up creating more opportunity for yourself. And you end up creating a more dynamic, more personal, more emotional relationship. And and so really what this um, what this process has done for me is allowed me to create a ubiquitous um Approach to selling a universal approach to selling that I took with me from startup to startup to startup, I was that mercenary that changed jobs every two years, took my stock options, I ran and went to the next big payday and I kind of just you know was rolling that snowball downhill, but every time I went to a new new job, I had to reinvent the approach to selling and it as I look back once i started this company, I look back at how I did it. The, um, the model uh, so, presented yeah, itself Yeah. So you to were me.
1: able to like get a lot of time in and then look back and see the rhythm, but the rhythm, the model, did it come just sitting down one day and you were reflecting back or was it a, a spark of insight and then continuing to hone it in?
0: Yeah, I mean, necessity is the is the mother, right? <laughs> For many of us, necessity is a good thing. It can be a bad thing. You know, when you start a consulting practice, or in my case, a coaching practice, uh, you my big thing was to walk the talk. So I had to I had to be able to articulate a solution to the challenges my clients were facing, a, a challenge, a, a solution that I. Could practice and could believe in. I also wanted to, Chris, come up with a solution to selling that I would be proud to teach a customer who had just gone through the process. If I'm gonna go out, you're right, if I'm gonna go out and sell sales enablement, um, I've got to make the experience one that my customer Mm -hmm. is is happy that they went through. Uh, So all of those kind of requirements and necessities came together. And the other big thing is I knew what didn't work. Right. I knew over the years watching founders of, of businesses right, that, that thought they were hot shit because they built a cool product and had maybe 50 million in venture funding, thought they could take on the world, and they would fail and stub their toes at the most basic and easiest steps of the process. The biggest hmm. problem was pitching. We love to pitch, right? Especially a founder who creates a, a product. They can't wait to tell the world about that product. The problem is you're starting at the end of the process. You're starting with the, with the solution, but you're not building a case for the solution. And most folks don't know how to build that case. What's interesting, as I started to try to solve that problem, I said to myself, well, shit, there is a buying cycle that people go through. Why not meet them where they are? and make it easy for them to buy from you. And so let's start at the beginning of the buying cycle. What ends up happening when you start at the beginning of the buying cycle is first you get to qualify them. Is there an active buying cycle in the first place? So now I'm not. Now the benefit is I'm starting with my client is and I'm also um, not engaging buyers who aren't ready to buy. I'm not filling my pipeline with junk. Then the next thing is to think about, okay, after there's a reason to change or there's an active buying cycle, now you want to focus on the next most important thing which is building that business case. What's the impact for change? What do you expect to gain from this? Why is that beneficial to to the customer? Because sales is an exchange of value, period. That is the definition of sales. Why not start with the definition, yeah. the client's definition so, of value? What
1: is it that you're after? What's
0: the impact of success, failure, awesome. or and doing so nothing?
1: I want to not miss this because this has been huge for me to learn even too. Like marketing, I've understood you got to start with the problem. But I've, as w- you, know, you and I developed a relationship and friendship and I started to learn from you, uh, I was like, oh my gosh, I am doing that in marketing but i'm failing to slow down and stop there in in sales and oftentimes because the business is hot and there's referrals and and i didn't have to be great and i didn't know that like so then as as the scope and scale of deal flow increased and i could see things that i wasn't winning uh you know Oh my gosh, I'm skipping over the problem. So the right, first thing you right. gotta appreciate about what you just right. said is you gotta take them to the problem. And then this universal buying cycle is gonna do that. Now you said it, you went to the second one too. Can you restate the first one just to make sure everybody didn't miss it?
0: Right. Right. So I'm not so I'm I'm kind of just giving you the definitions now okay, and I'll cool. give you the Keep- the big The the model at the end, right? So the the first thing you want to do is identify, is there an active buying cycle? By identifying the big goal or objective that that the buyer wants to achieve, then you have to define the impact of success, failure, or doing nothing in the terms that the client cares the most about. Now, the term that we care the most about is the economic condition, right? What is the, I call it the business case, but if you're selling person-to-person or B2C, um, it's the same thing. What is the what do I expect to gain from the investment that I'm about to make? It could be um, prestige. It could be reputation. It could be actual um, economic improvement in some way. But you want to have this conversation because the big the big goal or priority plus the the impact that um, somebody can gain from that, that creates the definition of your buyer, the buyer's definition of value. And it also positions you as the emotional favorite because now you can ask them questions about how success will make them feel or how the shitstorm they're experiencing right now is making them feel. How would it feel to get rid of this? Tell me more, right? Um, I, I oftentimes tell the story of uh, a client of mine that reinforced this for me. Every time I tell the story, I get misty-eyed, right? I get a little emotional because this business owner, yes, wanted to dub- double the size of their business, right? So they they wanted to um, double the size of the biz. But when I asked him what the impact of success would be, he said it would mean I could spend more time with my wife. And I said, you don't spend enough time with your wife? I kind of smiled. Mm-hmm. He said, no, she's dying mm-hmm. of cancer, right? Yeah.
1: So... I hear you, I feel you right now, man. I'm gonna...
0: Yeah, big big statement. And so we as salespeople, if we stay hidden um, in the shadows of our own complacency, for example, and we just focus on what we are doing in terms of our products and services, we miss the opportunities to connect, but also the opportunity to become the emotional favorite because that's what triggers the decision to buy. The, becoming the rational favorite simply supports that buying decision. So I can be a good salesperson and I could can be a good uh, leader, a good servant leader to the client that I'm working with by, by focusing on their definition of value, becoming the emotional favorite. And then of course, after I identify the impact, right? I'm going to ask them, so what's stopping you? What's stopping you from getting there? Now I'm going to get into what folks typically refer to as needs. Notice it's the third step. And then after that, of course, we now are able to talk about the solution I might recommend and bring to the table. I mean, the value of this this process is that I'm able to, if somebody comes to me and says, Jimmy, I want to buy that today, I'm going to say, great, Mm -hmm. but frankly, I'm not ready to sell it to you. Mm -hmm. Can we start back at the beginning? Why would I do that? And actually my coach taught me this He he knows nothing about sales as a profession, but he's a smart person. He said, Jimmy, anytime somebody wants to cut you a check and hand it to you before you're ready to take it, push it back with all due respect and start back at the beginning of the process. Why? Because they might, you know, they're, we as salespeople think that our clients know themselves really well. That is bullshit. Think about how often they buy your stuff right? You're the expert. If they come to you with a decision about what they might need and what their problem might be and what they want to buy from you, that's great. You, you, have, you're, you have a client who's ready to buy, but mm. they might be ready to buy the wrong thing. It's still our job in the context of living and operating in integrity to challenge them, to question them, to ask a question like, would you mind mm. if I push back for a moment? Let's start back at the beginning. Talk to me about your ultimate objective inside the business or for your family or for yourself, right? And then let's talk about how you're gonna measure success. What will be the impact you're after? Mm -hmm. What's stopping you? Now that I've done that, now that I've identified the first three steps to your point to find the problem, now I can talk about a recommended solution. So we, we we wanna respect the process. We wanna know that it's good for us as salespeople, but it's good for our clients as buyers by going through the process, we can protect them from themselves, and we have an opportunity to really dig into the situation they're facing and potentially provide them more value by offering them more yeah. of I, what and we can deliver to them. My experience has
1: been, you either it either reveals a lack of readiness for change or locks in a commitment to change, like, as they go through that process, and- and and right I would guess right, right, right. that if you could take every, and I haven't had a lot of these, I can't really even think of one, actually. Uh, I haven't had those horror stories of customer experiences that people have. Why? Well, because you had somebody that you got locked in that was not ready or committed to change, and there was not a shared vision. And because of that shadow, that misalignment, then you had this train wreck. Um, and, I, I, you know, at a, at a very high conceptual principled level, if you're making moves true to who you are as a person, you're going to invite people into your world through your life. And, and let's make a business application out of this. that are the kind of people you like being with, you know. And so I love being with customers and clients. Right. There's, it's so much fun because they're people I like. If I made a list of a hundred people on a piece of paper, these are the people I want to hang out with. How do you get that and get more of that walking through a process like this? Right. Because of this deep alignment that occurs. And, uh, I think, you know, so, so powerful. So are you going to give us the goods yet or not, man? Give us the goods.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Let's t- So let's, why do we, call it, why do we call it the four agreements? Um, This came out of just an observation of those folks that pitch, that start with the solution. You're actually starting with the fourth agreement, uh, which (laughs) is, will you agree to buy my solution? The the question is, why you? Makes no sense, because if you start with the solution, then they're going to ask you what the price is. And the only way they can tell if the price is good is by shopping you around. So when we start... At the end of the process or even near the end of the process, we are, as salespeople, responsible for commoditizing Mm. our own products and services. We are responsible for diminishing our ability to sell. We are responsible for for bringing on crappy customers that just want good deals who are going to be the first to leave when they find another good deal. So we're taking the quick transaction by lowering our price or competing on price. We're diminishing the value of our business. We're taking on crappy customers, low margin business. And we are now, we've now started the process of putting ourselves out of business unless the rest of the market, Mm -hmm. right, follows. And then we're destroying Mm -hmm. our entire industry, our entire market. So when I talk to salespeople and I say, you know, that you're responsible for the customers that you have, it is largely because we are, as salespeople, the ones who are mostly responsible for the crappy sales conversations we, we have and the crappy customers that we bring on board. It's our own behavior. So four agreements. Let's not start with the last agreement. Let's start with the first. So I'm going to give them to you uh, all four in a row, and then we're going to talk about why, uh, how they map to the universal buying cycle. So the first agreement that we want to achieve is the answer to the question why change so the first agreement we have to achieve is why change why do anything then why now so first then one is why, why change buy? second why one is why anything? buy
1: and the third one is
0: yep thanks thank you for exactly. getting it wrong so i can make sure everybody has it right dude hey we're on we're on podcast if you want if you want a picture Email me. My email will be at the end of the uh, session today. Um, Why change is number one. So we have to figure out what is the reason to change, right? People buy when they're ready, willing, and able to change. I'm going to challenge my customer to convince me that there is a reason to to, to do something different. This is what tells me there's an active buying cycle in place. Now, the answer to that question is because I want something I don't have which is the first agreement. Why change? Because I want something I don't have. And of course, when I hear what they want, I'm gonna gonna challenge that to expand it and see how big I can make that. And I'll give you an example when I'm done with this. Very simple example. The second step is why now? And the reason they would change now is because the Hmm. impact is too great to ignore. So we have why change? Because I want something that I don't have. Why now? Because the impact is too great to ignore. The W yeah. and the I of the WINS model. The third question is why buy, right? Just because somebody wants something and the impact is too great to ignore doesn't mean they have to go buy it. They could build it. They could task one of their internal people to do it. They could also use a uh, an existing vendor. So why buy anything, right? What's What what are you missing that's preventing you from achieving the value that you seek, that's number three. So why buy? Because I'm missing something or there's a need, right? So the W for wants, I for impact, N for needs. And then when I've identified the win, I now understand the problem to to be solved. And then I can have a conversation, which in the last question, the last agreement is why you, right? Because your solution is differentiated enough and fits my problem well enough that I'd be dumb enough to buy it,
1: so state the four questions just for people listening, get them in their heads
0: sure, why change, why now, why love buy? love it, why it's you? vision right, and the agreement, yep, and the agreement is want impact, need solution. Why change? I want something I don't have, why now? The impact is too great to ignore. Why buy? because there are identifiable must have needs and why you because your solution is ideally suited to solve my problem. And the only reason it's ideally suited to solve the problem is because we invested our time up front defining the problem and coming to an agreement with the client on yeah. every element of the problem. And as they agree with you, they are now walking, right, the universal buying cycle with you. You are leading them through the process and they're becoming attached to you. You're becoming their emotional favorite. And then ultimately,
1: That's so f- the rational I mean, Even though I was saying it back to you, mishearing it in the moment incorrectly, what's become intuitive <laughs> is to not, because I am still, I, you know, I am nowhere near your level of application. Because for those listening, I mean, I can even like, talk to Jimmy about something, he's like, yeah, and what about this? And you like, make it even better. Like, oh, yeah, that's where I need to grow next. But I'll tell you this, because w- in my domain, and and world with with leadership, coaching, and speaking and, and teaching around that, it's all about vision, like vision is everything. Whoever has the sharpest, clearest vision is is the leader in the room, you know, and and what's powerful right. about this process right. is starting off with this why and then getting at the want level, getting into that impact level where you, you, you challenge, you encourage, you could say it this way, you expand their vision. You, you help them see. Now, right. how many people are blazing through their schedules? Right. They're not slowing down in an engagement like this. You're actually coaching them to... A stronger vision, which is the craziest thing. They should write you a check just for the meeting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Well, those are the best salespeople, Chris. The best salespeople, I have a friend here in town who's a CEO that everyone knows, so he'll go nameless, but he used to tell me there are three kinds of salespeople that he deals with, those that take him to dinner and ball games; those that educate him about the latest technology, and those he buys from right? The folks that he buys from are the ones that add the most value to him and his business, period, right? So what, we're, what we have here is a definition. You can you look at it as a definition of what does it mean to be a thought leader? What it means to be a thought leader is you have to know, as, okay, B2B, you have to know your customer's business as well or better than them. So you can expand their vision for what they want, you should be able to walk into every company that you sell to and mm-hmm. answer the question, why change? And your job now is to get them to agree. Why wouldn't you want mm. this? That's, so you're leading that conversation mm. and you're walking in with the vision. And then you're not going to give them a, a solution and a price and then negotiate after you proposed. You're going to have a conversation up front about what's the impact of this kind of change on their business. And, and, and you're going to have that conversation and you're going to do the calculation with the people that make that people that have to be part of that conversation. Right. The economic approvers. Now, why would you do that? Because they don't want to waste time pursuing an initiative that can't be supported economically. Mm-hmm. So let's build the business case. Now, what's stopping you? What are the barriers? What are the must haves? A big question. Now we'll focus on the needs. Now that we've understand, now we understand the problem. Now I can help you articulate and design the right solution that every tw- all the twenty members in the steering committee will agree to. The best salespeople on the planet already do this. They may not think of it as a pattern, a predictable pattern of success. We've just designed it and articulated it that way, and we now know why it works because we've studied it over 10,000 working sessions. And by virtue yeah. of the fact that we practiced. it A practice few days ago, day. I haven't even
1: told you this story. Uh, you know, some things come in hot, so to speak. And I would just have gotten on the meeting and like, all right, let's wrap it up. Schedule it out, get it done, deliver services. But I actually stopped. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, what do you want? What's the impact of that? Uh, Oh, okay. So you need this. Why wouldn't you go here to get that? Because I don't need that. I need this. And it it allowed a more precise conversation of the need to happen. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's specifically the need that we answer. If you would have gone in the other direction, I would have made uh, any number of referrals I needed to. But now I know where the solution you need we can take care of you. Our certified coach will knock it out of the park. And there was no, it um, just like done deal. Right.
0: Right. And, it's a, and it could be a five minute conversation. We use this in trade shows. Somebody comes to the booth. Great. I, I love the fact they're interested in our company. Tell me what you, what are you trying to achieve? What impact are you looking for? Like, how are you going to measure success? I want to know if I can deliver that impact so what's stopping you? Oh, we can't do this and this. Okay, well, you know what? It sounds like we could probably address half of that. It sounds like you may not be a great fit for us. We get them out of the booth in three to five yeah, minutes and we go to awesome. the next person, right? And so, and so let me give you a simple example, Chris, because this, this is one that I use all the time, but it resonates, right? So I have uh, my wife, my two daughters, my mother-in-law, they all live in my ho- under my roof, right? And so it's common for me, when we're not in a pandemic, to be out shopping at, at a store that I'm not particularly interested in. So I have a lot of experience <laughs> window shopping, Chris. And I have a lot of experience with, you know, retailers asking me, is there anything I can do for you? Ask me exactly the wrong question. What should they focus on first? So if we just think about the experience of seeing this dude looking at the stuff that you sell, Let's say it's clothing um, in the mall. What should that retailer be asking me? The first thing they should be thinking about is how do I get this guy who's just obviously window shopping to Mm. think about his wardrobe, right? Because that's what's going to make him think about the fact that he needs to change. There's something in his life that he has to change. So I would ask a question like, uh, welcome to the store. Is there anything I can do for you? I say, of course, no. He says, well, let me, may I ask you a question? I say, sure. How mm. does your spring wardrobe look? Mm. Mm. I'm like shit, <laughs> right? I, I'm like, I don't know. Ask my wife. He's and then I, and I say, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. And he says, well, um, you know, how how would you feel about having one or two items this spring that's that are new? Different from last year that just make you feel spectacular. Right. I don't know if I have anything in the shop that you might like, but I'd love to show, I'd be happy to show you around. Right. So he, in- he immediately makes me think about my closet. And I have no earthly idea what's in there. Of course, I'm starting to think about being current because I have girls in my house and they're all going to look at dad and like either I'm going to impress them with my fashion sense and then I'm current or I'm not right. And I'm going to put up a lot of shit if I'm not. And so he, hit, with those questions, he had everything that I would be thinking about. He had my, the want um, for having something current because the season is here. So the seat, the season changing is the trigger mm. for why change. And then the impact of having something current versus looking like a bum, like I don't care, like I'm not taking care of myself, unimpressive, why don't we, why don't we talk about your wardrobe and see if there's anything that you need, and, and then I'll show you around and see if there's anything here that you like. That would be an ideal conversation. So that's a B2C situation, and we could go into numerous examples. It works in a simple context. It also works in the context of a... 30-person steering committee across multiple countries when you're trying to bring together a year-long decision to sell, you know, aerospace engines. And this it's is so fascinating. I process. know we're going to have to
1: wrap up in a second. I have one fun question and one real question. The fun question would be, is it too risky for him in the the sales example with clothing to be like, um, how's your spring wardrobe? Uh, how would you like to put together an outfit that you could? I know it's the wedding ring. Take your spouse out on, and they would go. Hmm. You know, uh, is that too risky to have <laughs> in your assessment? Because it's too personal.
0: Yes. Totally. Yeah. No, no, because you have no idea. I have a ring, but you don't know if my wife is alive or not. You don't know if I'm so divorced what if they or ask? not.
1: What if they um, said what if they you know, they hey, no string are you in a yeah. any kind of committed relationship okay they say yes that's better
0: that's better keep going the mistake right? well i mean you know i mean here's here's the thing chris we're looking for predictable patterns of success so you would do you would you would behave in a way that wouldn't be risky you would ask me questions that you know work because they more often work with your with your That's always it. buyer, yeah.
1: reduce the risk. That's it.
0: So, yeah, I mean, exactly. So you, what we say that what we say in sales is you never want to assume, you never want to take those unnecessary risks. So what's my a flaw that I out. take those
1: unnecessary risks? Speaking at conferences on stages, much less one to one interactions. <laughs> I had a coach tell me years ago because I was like twenty five, twenty six, and he was like, I personally would not take that risk on stage until I knew whether or not it worked. And so <laughs> I have over the years gotten better about testing it one-to-one before I do it, but sometimes I still do it. Uh, okay, real question, real question. Uh, have you ever used this approach in a negotiation? And I know we got to end our episode here quick. So that w- I figured yes. you probably were going to say yes, yes, because it's like a beautiful yeah. tool for that.
0: Well, if you if you think about it, and and I welcome anyone who is an expert negotiator to challenge us on this. Send us an email; we'll have you on the show. But the wins model is is a model for deconstructing like a negotiation. Really had
1: with your daughter's helmet riding the bike, I personally have been applying it in negotiation standpoint or negotiations. And even helping advise, just listening to somebody that I'm coaching that's facing a major negotiation. They can't handle the whole model or they don't need the whole model right now, but just helping them see what's the next question to ask, right? Um,
0: Right, right. You know, and this happens all the time. Like I have a client right now. I recommended a vendor to them. (laughs) we set up a meeting, the client loves to negotiate. So the client immediately said, let's cut his rate by 25% and see if we'll go for it. And I'm like, dude, right? <laughs> you know, what do you want? Do you, do you want to save 25%? And it would turn out over six months, it would turn out yeah. to be like two grand. When the impact of the marketing that you're looking to buy could, could be worth a half a million or a million bucks. Let's not, let's, you know, let's think about it. And it was like the negotiation was over. He defaulted to a natural tendency, a natural reaction. And by looking at, look, what's the bigger picture here? What's the impact of success? What are you missing? It's like, it was an, it was an easy, you know, 30 seconds to get him to shift his perspective yeah. and decide, you're right. Let's not, yeah. let's not be silly I, about I, this. You know,
1: I I've approached so many interactions for years, just pushing for as much as I could get. And then I shifted, as I became healthier and more whole out of that, and it was transformative. I still use it occasionally in small interactions where it matters that, you know, but in long-term games with long-term people, you know, this model has already been yielding great results to me. So beautiful. Well, dude, this has been fun. Four agreements of the universal buying cycle, getting in your brain and learning how we can get better.
0: Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S
1: group.com. Connect with me. Check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.